You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. <laughs> Everybody's got a price, it's the million dollar man. <laughs> Podcast in demand. Understand. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a pod, it's the million dollar What's up, everybody? It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we are back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. And of course, you guys recognize this man if you're watching us here on YouTube. That is none other than the Hall of Famer himself, the 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 icon of professional wrestling, Ted DiBiase. I was trying to come up with other ways to describe you. There's just too many. Put my brain on freeze. Well, you know, one thing I don't know, Marcus, is like, you know, says like, obviously you recognize him. Maybe they don't. <laughs> like now, I'm wearing glasses. I'm all, I'm going gray, and uh, I don't know. You know, sometimes I don't recognize myself. <laughs> well, you know, thanks to that recent action figure of you, where they've actually got the Ted, the modern day uh, everybody's got a pod Ted DiBiase really, head. Yeah, that was really cool. I mean, they they gave you the uh, you know it, the glasses, the whole deal. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, pretty neat. So look, if you're if you uh, have a little NXT action figure collection, you can add Ted to that. Or you know, if you just want to start, and everybody's got a pod action figure collection. I mean, it's the perfect first step. You gotta get that Ted action. Here's figure. the seventy year version, seventy year old <laughs> version of man. <laughs> hey, what'd you say? <laughs> He's aged like a fine wine. Uh, not everybody can say the same thing. Uh, but hey, look, you know, Ted, you know, we're having some fun already and we're about to have a lot of fun today on this episode. We're talking about WrestleMania 10. We're looking back 30 years. Mm. But unfortunately, this week, Ted, and actually today uh, marks a pretty unfortunate thing that happened. Um, Virgil has passed away. Your old yes. your old bodyguard, friend and partner. Um, oh, gosh, I, had, um, I was really sad to hear that, you know. Um, Mike Jones is Virgil's real name or was Virgil's real name. And, uh, uh, we met when, uh, in, in the WWE office, uh, when this whole thing with the million dollar man started and, you know, back then Mike had, I mean, oh my gosh, you know, he had this tremendous body and kept himself in shape. And, uh, that basically that's, that was his role. You know, he was like the bodyguard. You know, you know, I, I would run my mouth, and if somebody wanted to say something, I'd, I'd, I'd back up and say, "Virgil, take over." <laughs> but uh, what we did, we did a thing where uh, basically, uh, as Virgil, Mike gets tired of all, all of my crap, right, and just says, "I'm not doing it anymore," and um, and so we we ended up having a one off and, and and had a match and. Uh, uh, doggone it, you know, um, Mike was a, a great guy, nice guy. And like I said, to, to keep your body in that kind of shape takes a lot of discipline. And he was very good at that. He was he was much better at doing that than I obviously was in terms of stay, keeping his body in great shape. Uh, but it was, you know, I just wish that he had had more wrestling savvy. I don't know how to put it any other way. Because if he if he could have really wrestled, uh, we could have had a, we could have had a good run. 
but basically it, it, it was, it was on and, and it was over, you know, uh, pretty quick, good old Virgil. Uh, he didn't have the charisma, you know? And so, you know, it, it was probably over before it really started, you know, but, you know, uh, we continued to be friends and, um, um, I would see him at, uh, some, some of the comic cons from time to time. Um, and I, I told him going forward, I said, if you get booked on any of the comic cons and we end up there together, then please come and sit with me. Uh, and I, I did that that much, but the reason that I stopped doing it was things that Virgil had said to some fans uh, that just, you know, it wasn't right. But I'm looking back at it from where I am now, and I'm going, and I see, I, I he never, he, ne he never would say that to me. He didn't want anybody to know that he was struggling. And uh, uh, later I did find out, I can't remember the guy's name that was his, his, his caretaker, but it was uh, seeing to it that he was, taken care of a little bit better. And, uh, I just don't know. It's, it's mind boggling to me because, um, you know, I don't, I don't know who, who he was living with or how he, how he was living, but I know that it was not good. It's just, it, it's, it's just a sad story. Yeah, uh, it is. And, you know, we hear about his health decline, uh, recently. And, you know, as, as you said, he wasn't, he was gifted with a great look and, a, and, a, you know, the, the will to, uh, form his body, uh, so, so incredibly well. Uh, but he wasn't really gifted with, with what it took to be, uh, a, a, a superstar in ring performer, right? Correct. That being said, you know, he's he and you are forever linked um, as a million dollar man and Virgil, which is the role that he's probably best suited for is being your bodyguard. And yeah. they did a great job with that. They brought him into WCW in a similar role and he fulfilled his obligations and did a good job there. And as a matter of fact, Marcus, you know, when I went to WCW, uh, that's one of the things I did is, you know, like, like they had uh they, all these people that were coming over and it was kind of like, um, uh, it was kind of like, uh, the wrestlers were, were, were taking over, you know what I'm saying? Yes. So if you're, if you're taking over, then obviously you need security. And I said, what better security could I have than the guy who was my security for all those years. And so I got Virgil booked, uh, with WCW. And he wound up hanging around there for a while and making some money and, you know, uh, doing well for himself. And, yeah, it's, you know, you hate to hear about a guy who has, uh, you know, some some health issues, some financial struggles along the way. Um, and I just hope that Virgil's at peace. And, you know, regardless uh, of, of anything else, I know that you and he didn't always see eye to eye, but, you know, we're ultimately always friends, um, yeah. regardless of all of it. Uh, I'm glad that he has a legacy that's forever been cemented in professional wrestling. Yeah, me too. So sad news and hard to move on after discussing something sad like that. But we're going to do our best here this week. As I said, we're looking back 30 years to WrestleMania 10. Uh, hard to believe it's been 30 years since the 10th anniversary of WrestleMania. But here we find ourselves on the precipice of WrestleMania 40 here coming up next month. Unbelievable. 
right? And I mean, it doesn't really like I remember WrestleMania 10, and here we are 30 years later. It's like, oh boy, this is this is tough. Yeah, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to think I'm getting old after uh, after hearing God. this. But man, it's it's crazy, and I'm so excited to talk to you about this. There's so much that was going on in the WWF, not just in the ring, but behind the scenes that we're going to be discussing this week. However, before we get into our subject, you guys know the deal. I want to remind our listeners to get over to YouTube and uh, get subscribed. Ted and Jim Duggan share our YouTube channel. It's two podcasts, tons of clips, videos of Jim's day-to-day activities and travels, and YouTube-exclusive clips from this podcast with stories that you'll only get on our channel. All of that. Plus, we do giveaways every once in a while. So if you're not part of it, you are seriously missing out. It only takes a second. Get over there and get subscribed. It's youtube.com forward slash at everybody's got a pod. So, Ted, we've got this uh, right out of the gate. We're hearing from Dave Meltzer. We've got this from the January 31st Observer. According to newspaper reports, Summit Media Group and Titan Sports are each 50% owners of the new World Martial Arts Federation, a show planned for syndication starting in September. The story said Summit Media approached Titan about the concept because they were looking to create a kickboxing version of the WWF, and Titan went in halves with the 26-episode project that is being budgeted at between 3 and $3.5 million. So, Ted, prior to this, Vince dipped his toe into the World Bodybuilding Federation waters, and now he's looking at martial arts. Uh, I know that a lot of guys resented the World Bodybuilding Federation thing when that came along uh, because the perception, of course, is like, hey, Vince is spending an awful lot of money on these bodybuilders and this concept. Uh, He could be giving that money to me. Uh, So I think that a lot of guys felt that way about the whole thing. How did you feel about Vince kind of venturing out like this? Well, you know... Um, I was kind of of the same mind. It's kind of like World Bodybuilding Federation. I mean, I mean, really? I mean, uh, you got a bunch of <laughs> muscle heads. I said, oh, you know, you know, pick up the magazines that are on the on the on the rack in the in the uh, you know on the new, at the newsstand. You can see all the muscle heads you want to. I mean, we're we're the ones that are making all the money. Yep. Yeah, the World Bodybuilding Federation ain't making you a dime. You know, uh, and 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 you know there aren't that many. I mean, uh, how often do you see bodybuilding, even on uh, like you know what, what the what Sunday seems to be the day for sports, ABC, NBC, CBS, whether it's football, basketball, you know, uh, baseball, you name it. Uh, uh, car racing, what have you, but bodybuilding. Yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what ESPN channel bodybuilding is featured on probably ESPN 13 or 14, (laughs) (laughs) but but, but yeah, it's man. I don't know. And I believe he lost money on it much like he did with like XFL. And it's just, Hey dude, just why don't you just put your resources into wrestling? Yeah. Um, well, another arrival around this time is Bob Holly, who's coming into the promotion under a race car driver gimmick of Thurman Sparky Plug. There's a lot of crossover between wrestling fans and fans of racing and monster trucks. So I, I think that this one kind of made sense when you hear that there's a race car driver uh, as, as a professional wrestling gimmick. What do you think? Is there something there if it's if it's done the right way? Well, uh, when I went to WCW, I. Uh, I'm not, I'm not mistaken. The NWO uh, 
we had a, a, a we, we, we had a pretty famous race car driver. Yes, you did. Driving our car. Kyle Petty. Kyle Petty. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So Kyle Petty is a, is a race car driver uh, when you get to WCW. So, I mean, that's proof positive that maybe this gimmick, there's something to it. Yeah, but, I mean, so who's the, you know, it's so Kyle Petty. He's a race car driver, and so we sponsor this car. But who... Who's the who's the who's the wrestler that's a race car driver? Right. Well, it's a Thurman Spark Plug Holly, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> or Thurman Sparky Plug, as he was called. I don't uh-huh. know. I guess he he definitely had the look, but you know, I you know, got to have the gimmick to go along. Yeah, with it, yeah. Right? It's kind of like there's a lot of really good looking cars out there on the racetrack. Yep. But it ain't how pretty they are. It's whether they can get the damn job done or not. <laughs> and I don't think that uh, Thurman Sparky plug TSP was doing it, um, uh, no. man. Yeah, down the road, uh, I would say that uh, Hardcore Holly, he was probably better served in that role. Um, in the February 21st Observer, Meltzer says that you're negotiating with the WWF for a manager or announcer role, and you wouldn't be ready for an in-ring return until 1995. So, Ted, you told me before that you knew quickly that your days of wrestling were behind you, but this write-up kind of makes me curious. Did you make it clear to Vince right away that you were never going to wrestle again, or did you hold off at first to kind of keep the door open? No, I made it. I made it. I made it clear to Vince. Uh, you know, Melzer may not have known that, but you know, I did. I, you know, it was. I had. I had made my mind that I wasn't physically going to wrestle anymore. Well, Ted, no need to give us any exact figures, but when you return to the company as a manager uh, slash announcer, as opposed to being an in-ring performer, was the money the same as when you were wrestling or not quite? Or no, huh? no. Big, big downgrade? Yeah. Okay. Now it was, now it was like more of being, you know, like in a, in a like an announce, announce, announcer's position or whatever you, uh, you know, I don't know what any other announcers made, but maybe because I had been a talent, you know, and the action figures and all that other stuff, that mine was uh, a little higher than, than others. But no, I was, I was definitely on a salary. Okay. Okay. So it was a salary. You weren't getting paid off the houses anymore. It was a flat rate that you're making now. Um, yeah. Yep. It, was that was that kind of comforting in some ways? I know it's less money, but way. yeah, you know, it's kind of like, uh, uh, and of course, you know, in the back of my mind, I said, well, if I, you know, I'm still young enough that if I had to, you know, if I if something desperate had happened and I, you know, and I had and I needed the money that bad, I could still put the tights back on, but that never happened. Well, I know that you're going to come in and work with Gorilla Monsoon in a hosting capacity, along with Stan Lane on Wrestling Challenge. Stan, of course, is best known at this point as a member of the Midnight Express tag team with Bobby Eaton, but he retired from in-ring action in 1993, and he finds himself here in the WWF in this uh, uh, announcing-type role. Ted, was this the first time you were around Stan? Uh, I think so. You know, I didn't You know, I didn't know him well. You know, it was not... Uh, yeah. Uh, I hadn't been around him, you know, because, I mean, he was new. I mean, I mean, he might not have been new to wrestling, per se, but he was new to me, and he was new to the WWE. You know, and after 1987, I didn't go anywhere else. Well, I, I say I didn't go anywhere else. I, eventually, 
you know, I jumped ship and went over to WCW, uh, you know, because I could get a contract, you know, a, a specific contract with them. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have with, with Vince. Now, uh, had you ever seen any of Stan's work with the Midnights, with Eaton and Cornette, or, I mean, off your radar because you were too busy working during that time? Well, yeah, we, I, yeah, I mean, I, I saw some of his work. You know, he was a pretty fair worker. Yeah, and, like, you know, a guy with a good look, like, uh, you know, handsome, tall, in good shape. You yeah. know, it, it kind of seemed like a guy who was made for pro wrestling. But, yeah, it's uh, I've, I've seen a lot of criticism of him uh, in this announcing capacity. And I don't know. It's What did you think of his skills as a personality behind the scenes here in the WWF? Mm -hmm. He needed some help. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, you know, maybe a guy who is better suited for in-ring work. Uh, Marty Jannetty is going to be fired for around the fourth or fifth time due to his behaviors on the WWF European tour. Dad, I know that you were on a number of these overseas tours with the, with the WWF. Do, do you remember a lot of guys kind of cutting loose during these trips? Um, yeah, but I mean, Marty, you know, you know and, and you know what, Marty... You know, Marty was just crazy. I mean, I mean, legitimately, Marty, had he kept his head together, was he was a good worker. He was a very good wrestler. But he just, you know, his personal life, you know, was just out of, you know, out of control. Marty never grew up. Sean did. Mm. Now. And Sean in a big way, you know, Sean. Uh, you know, became a, a, a Christian and a believer and, you know, um, and, and again, he's to this day, he's a great guy. Now, did you ever, uh, cause I know that, you know, you were no stranger to having some fun here and there yourself back in the day. Did you ever party with Sean and Marty? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I did somewhere, but I mean, um, there's there's no there's no blowout party or anything like that that comes to mind but uh, i mean you know when we're on the road together you know all the guys uh it was kind of like you know the next town the next show the next party you know get on the plane do it again uh just kind of kind of like kind of like rock stars living that lifestyle and uh, and again uh, and I wrote a book about it. You know, mine all cum culminated with uh, uh, at a place in my life and in my time when uh, I was all full of myself. I was gone so much of the time, and uh, I was unfaithful. I was unfaithful to my wife. Uh, she she found out. Uh, I mean, I I thought I, I thought for sure that I had ruined the best thing that ever happened to me. And, uh, and deserved it, you know, um, I was just like one of the other guys, next party, next town, next, next town, no, next party, next girl. Good for you for, uh, for growing up, you know, not everybody gets the opportunity and a lot yeah, of guys suffer as a result of it. Marty has certainly had his fair share of issues. And unfortunately, a few weeks back, he announced that his doctors have advised him to have his leg amputated due to ongoing ankle issues he's dealt with throughout his wrestling career. So, I mean, Marty's, Marty's in a bad way. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sad to hear, especially a guy with, with, uh, such physical gifts as he had, right? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. 
he's going to have to have a leg amputated. Yeah, he's been dealing with some serious ankle injuries. I know that he uh, his ankle was looking really, really rough. Uh, he had re-aggravated it uh, during a wrestling match, you know, a while back. And, uh, you know, now as he found himself kind of hobbled as a result of it, and now, unfortunately, yeah, it sounds like he's going to have to have it amputated. Now, he hasn't still been wrestling, has he? Not for a while. Uh, not since he suffered this this severe ankle injury. Wow. Yeah. So unfortunate for Marty. I hope that he uh, kind of pulls the yeah. nose up on everything, and and uh, I I just hope he's okay, man. You know, it's uh, you know whether you agree I with mean, you know, Marty. Not Marty's. You know, he's not a bad guy. He's not. You know, he's he's just this fun loving spirit who never. You know, he's like a little kid who never wants to grow up. That's you know, perfectly that's, put. Yeah. Yep. And and uh, unfortunately, we all have to grow up. I hate that he has to go through something like this for, I look, I look at this as God's way of getting his attention. I think that's a good perspective on it. And hopefully yeah. it does. And Marty starts to take things seriously as far as, you know, uh, his, his activities and where he puts himself and the type of people yeah. he puts himself around. Yeah. Well, Ted, let's get into WrestleMania 10 itself. It takes place in front of about 18,000 people in Madison Square Garden, a smaller venue than some that we had seen previously in the Silver Dome, the Sky Dome, Hoosier Dome, uh, but higher ticket prices and a pretty significant venue. Ted, it's the first WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan, but Madison Square Garden, I mean, it's it's big time. Did you yeah. feel strange being back under such different circumstances here with the company? Yeah, I mean, I, I was... I was there, but I wasn't, I mean, I was, <laughs> I'm sitting in the crowd watching the show. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, this was, this was just, it's like, uh, that WrestleMania happened, you know, and, uh, I had been in conversation with Vince and, uh, he, you know, and the show was over and, I was staying at a hotel that was virtually almost across the street from Madison Square Garden in Manhattan. And I remember I got my phone rang at about 1.30 and it was Vince. And he said, hey, pal, he said, uh, you ready to start this thing? And I said, yes, sir. He says, the car will be there to pick you up at whatever time early in the morning. And so what it was is I was going to start doing voiceovers. All right and color commentary that's that's when that started and i know that i, I you know i partnered with i partnered a lot with gorilla monsoon and he was really good i mean he, you know he he was really helpful it's kind of like um you know um you know you got one 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 straight guy and then one guy that's and i can't remember what i, I think i was the guy that was uh, i wasn't calling the match so much as i was doing the the color yeah well you're like the uh you 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 add the personality a little flavor yeah. to everything yeah. um you know ted it makes me curious because you know you and i had talked about uh you making the jump to wcw which is two years after this so two years later you're getting ready to jump to wcw and one of the reasons that you cited was that uh you felt that being on the road was danger for you it represented the the old life that you had tried to leave behind as you're trying to repair your relationship with mel so I'm curious when Vince makes this offer to you at the time, you were still feeling okay about being on the road. You felt that you could balance your, your personal life and your personal well, well, life. Here's the thing though. Here's the thing. 
is uh, I wasn't on the road. All of this at the time, you know, right after WrestleMania 10, all of it, all this required of me was two days. Gotcha. I would do, uh, I would, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I would, I would, I would fly from home. I would fly into, they'd fly me into LaGuardia, uh, you know, and I'd rent a car and drive to Stanford and I would do the, the voiceovers, uh, you know, or, you know, like, um, yeah, because I would do, we would do the tape and Gorilla, Gorilla and I would be there. And, it, you know, you know, the people at home couldn't tell that we weren't actually there. We're, we're watching the show, but we're doing the commentary. Gotcha. We're watching it on, on, on screen. And so that's what I was doing. So, you know, you're, you're shaking Vince's hand here after WrestleMania 10, and you're ready to come back in this announcing role, but it's not going to be very long before a transformation takes place. Vince says, eh, need you on the road. Yeah, and so that lasted for a while, and then it just, but that required me to go on the road some then, you know, and after that started happening, um, you know, I, I, did, I didn't want to fall back into the old routine, mm-hmm. and so, but I was afraid that, you know, and I told this to Vince later, you know, it's like, I didn't think you'd be concerned, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, you're going to put me where... I work where you think I need to be, where I, where you think I fit, you know, or there's the door. And, uh, and he, he did, he did eventually when we had that conversation, he did tell me, he says, Ted, you should have come to me and told me, he says, I'm, I'm serious. You should have come and talked to me. Uh, he says, because I, you know, you know, he said, I understand. I've been there. Man, you live and you learn, and uh, yeah. it's it's interesting, you know, because uh, selfishly as a fan, it's 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 cool that you got to have that managing role in the WWF eventually. Because, like, as a fan, I got to see you in that role and got to see Million Dollar Corporation and you with the fake Undertaker and Kama and Sid, and it was it was fun for us. But you know, here we come to find years later that it wasn't exactly what you were looking for. So, yeah, it's uh. The, the, a bummer that it happened that way, but yes. you know, ultimately you've got some pretty great things on film as a result of it. Yeah. Uh, so, Ted, there's a lot of celebrities here at WrestleMania. Starts with Little Richard singing "America the Beautiful," after which, reportedly, R- Little Richard left the building immediately and refused to sign autographs for anyone backstage. Um, we've also got Donnie Wahlberg of New Kids on the Block, Rhonda Shear, Jenny Garth, and Ted, most importantly, your fellow Trans Am enthusiast, the bandit himself, Burt Reynolds. Uh, Ted, did you get any time around any of these celebrities? I think I, I, well, I think I, somewhere I have a picture of me and Burt Reynolds. Well, that's awesome. You know, and, uh, Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah. You remember him? Well, yeah, I remember him, but I mean, I, you know, it's like, what was he? What was he there for? <laughs> it's a good question. It's because uh, he was part of New Kids on the Block, um, and yeah, I, I, now I guess he's trying to. Um, see not, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't his brother, Mark. So Mark, no, it was not Mark who was I, by this point an established actor. Um, Donnie was new kids on the block. And I think that at this point they had hyphenated it and kind of changed the group and they were, they were floundering. The group wasn't doing well, but Donnie was soon to have an acting career of his own here. Okay. Well, yeah. 
because you know, I, you know, I can't remember when it was, but I, it was one of those nights when we were in, in in New York, and we were we were I don't know where we were going, or we, whether we were going to a car or or what it was, but we're walking down the street, and these guys are on the steps, and they're and they're and they're singing, and 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 all of a sudden, you know, I look up, and I go, "Holy shit, Marky Mark!" Really? Yeah which was Mark Wahlberg yeah. when, he, when he's a kid and he goes, Holy shit. It's the million dollar man. <laughs> you know, so that was that brief encounter, you know, and I, I kept going. Boy, I so, wonder if Donnie was with him there on the steps that I, day. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Could have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would love to talk to Mark Wahlberg today and find out or if he remembers that encounter. I mean, well, I'm sure he's a listener. So, Mark, when you hear this, go ahead. And, uh, hit us up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll reach out to him online uh, from your account or something. Let's see if we can get in touch with him. Hey, well, hey, you might as well. My younger son has been in contact with the Kelsey's. All right. And I am ordering two million dollar belts. They're going to ship them to me. And then we're going to ship them to the Kelsey's because they are huge wrestling fans. Oh, man. So, look, I mean, you're doing them a big favor. You're, you're hooking them up with some million dollar belts. Maybe they could do us a little favor. Come on the show here. Yeah, well. Everybody's got a price. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Keep my fingers crossed. Yeah, the belts are free, but uh, (laughs) there's a little. If you can give me about uh, 15 minutes of your time, that's all it would take, brother. Yeah. but hey, I do want to ask you about Burt Reynolds. Uh, you know, he's he's a pretty big star himself, and a, and a guy who uh, apparently, according to Meltzer, is a huge wrestling fan. Do you remember interacting with him much, or just like a quick picture, and that's it? I took a picture with him, and he was so cordial and and and, and great. And, and the one one thing I did get a chance to tell him uh, was that um, I had that exact car. Yeah. Man. If uh, if listeners, yeah, yeah, you know, and I, you know, I, I could have killed myself for selling that. If I had that thing now, it'd be worth a million bucks. Uh, listeners, go back and look at last week's cover art we did. Ted as Smokey or as the Bandit from Smokey and the Bandit for last week's cover. Art. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, but that's exactly what my car looked like. I had that car. Now, now, did you wear the cowboy hat? Is the real question. no, 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 no. Uh-uh. Uh, missed out. Listen, you got with listen when you say ten gallon hat on this big head, that's exactly <laughs> what you would have needed. <laughs> hey. Oh gosh, you know, uh, would have fit your gimmick with Stan Hansen that cowboy hat, that and the Trans Am boy, right at home. Well, hey, hey, when I was with Stan in Japan, mm-hmm. I had the shafts. And the vest, I did. But you had the headband. You weren't doing oh, the cowboy. Yeah, I had a headband. I didn't put on a hat. It was a cool look, man. We're, we're, don't worry, folks. We're talking about that moment later on. Uh, okay, so uh, Ted, you're around another celebrity here at the uh, at, at WrestleMania, and let me tell you, it's a pretty big one. So, President of the United States of America, Bill Clinton. Let's go ahead and have a look at this one. 
Well, if you were aware that you have another guest in your box, the uh, million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. I know if you... Uh... Well, Mr. President, it's uh, certainly a pleasure to meet you and have you here as a guest at WrestleMania 10. With all due respect, sir, to you and your position, I think there's one thing that you would have to agree with me on, and that's that everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. I'm sorry, I just don't want to get into politics tonight. I'm, uh, I'm just here to enjoy myself. I'm having a great time, and uh, please, no, no, no questions like all that right All right, now. sir, thank you very much. In the president's box, thank you again, sir. All right, the president looked a little off there, right? And, and that was uh, obviously not the real Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was not. That was the impersonator that we've uh, discussed previously here on the show uh, that, that was involved in the program, you know, throughout the years. Uh, but, yeah, Ted, what's funny here is that that's it. That's a blink and you'll miss a cameo from you. And that is your only appearance here on the show. Yeah. And uh, Meltzer is going to point out that it was uh, your role on the show was originally set to be much bigger, but it was cut down um, to just this interaction. So, yeah, it's uh, I'm wondering if Meltzer has it wrong or if... no, you know, you know, I sometimes don't think he knows his ass from a hole in the ground. Well, he has been caught occasionally making things up. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people will, will be critical online, you know, because I use him for research. But really, it's uh, for every time he gets it wrong, the guy also does keep really good track, like from a timeline perspective, yeah. of what happened when. So that's why I like to use him. But I'll be honest with you, I, I don't recall uh, me being scheduled to do anything else on that show. Ah, okay. Well, let's discuss a few of the matches here. We won't hit them all, just some of the highlights. Brett and Owen open up the pay-per-view with a match that Meltzer says may have actually been better than Steamboat versus Savage at WrestleMania 3, which is pretty high praise. Um, so, and, but like, look, that's, that's considered the high watermark for a technical match at WrestleMania. Brett puts Owen over, and Owen is solidified as one of the top heels in the company and one of my personal favorite heels of all time because of his unique kind of bratty approach to the role. Ted, you've said that Brett was the right choice as a new flag bearer for the new generation era, and that makes me wonder, did you see that same potential in Owen as a guy who could carry the company, or was he best suited in this kind of role that he had? Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Owen was, you know, o Owen was good. I mean, and again, you know, again, Owen was still, you know, he's still young in the business. I mean, he's good. He's good. But, I mean, he doesn't have the, I guess, the years. Mm -hmm. but, you know, I, I don't think he had enough in terms of overall time in the business to be put in a position as the flag bearer of the company. I'm with you. And, you know, it's this role that he's in against Brett is kind of the bratty younger brother. And, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I would say on the on the flip side of that, I think like Brett, Brett had been in the business long enough that, you know, had he been given that position like the flag bearer of the company? I mean, Brett could have handled it. Uh, to your point, Brett had been working as a wrestler, an active wrestler, since like the late seventies. So yeah. he he had been working for a really long time. Well, really well I, you know, I started in seventy five. So, yeah. Uh, so I mean, Owen, fantastic performer. But I'm kind of with you, where it's like you know him in this kind of antagonistic heel role. I don't know if it's world title worthy, but man, it was fun to watch. Yeah. 
Um, well, up next is probably not a match considered by many to be the greatest ever at Mania. Luna Vachon and Bam Bam Bigelow will defeat Doink the Clown and Dink, uh, his little person friend, uh, in a kind of a let-me-up type match. As a reminder, Matt Bourne was fired in 1993, and this is Ray Apollo as Doink. Ted, did you like the uh, kid-friendly version of Doink better, or did you prefer Matt Bourne's evil version of the clown? Oh, gosh. I, I I think they both worked. I mean, you know, one is I mean, a, a clown who's acting like a clown, and and then there's the, the evil clown. I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, there was one more. Um, as there, far there's as one reports. more doink coming. Um, I know that uh, actually your buddy Steve Kern would portray yes. uh, Doink at one point. The Brooklyn Brawler would. Um, so, yeah, a few people have, have gotten to put on the face paint. But, yeah, yeah, it's I don't know. For me personally, I know that Matt Bourne, you know, is, is certainly a lot of people don't have a lot of kind things to say about him. Jim Duggan does not have a single kind word to say about Matt Bourne. But uh, I, I really liked him in the role as evil Doink the Clown. It was it was just unique and, and fun. You got that right. I mean, yeah, yeah, he 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 did play the part very well, and I think you know it it it, it suited him well because I'm 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 with uh, I'm with my very good friend Jim Duggan on this one. Yeah, uh, not a great person. This way too, it's a good thing that the fight that started was broken up because Jim would have beat the nah. There's, there's no question about it. It's the the thing you hear about Jim all the time is like, oh, he's one of the toughest humans ever to be in wrestling. Probably not a guy to mess with. Um, yeah. So what did I, I do have to ask while we're here? What did you think about Dink? His real name was Claude Giroux. He was formerly known as Tiger Jackson during his time in Canada, and a little person performer who will still occasionally get bookings here and there. Well, I never, I never gave a whole lot of. Uh... I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about Dink, but yeah, um, he fit the role, obviously, and he, and he did it well. Everybody got a big kick out of it. Back in the day, back in the, uh, the day, they, they used to have uh, as a novelty, and I think I thought Vince did some of these too, that, that, that we would have what they called midget matches, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I guess Vince was very adamant about do not let me hear anybody calling them midgets. They are small people. Well, that's good. He's he didn't paying like attention to that. Midget. And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I used to love to watch them work. I mean, because they were, they were so fast. They're entertaining. I know that back in the day, a little... Yeah. Little Beaver was one of the ones that was uh, heavily featured. Uh, so, yeah, it's I've, I've always enjoyed it. I think that there's a place for it. And, you know, again, not every match needs to be super serious. I think that sometimes you can have a little let me ups here and there. And this yeah. is perfect for it. Yeah. Uh, well, Ted, the match everyone wants to talk about when it comes to WrestleMania 10 is Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon in a ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, Meltzer would say that Shawn Michaels put on the single greatest performance in the history of the business here. Uh, something I've heard a few times over the years is that folks are going to say that it was uh, Sean had a five star match with a ladder, which it feels a little bit unfair to Scott Hall, who is Sean's dance partner here. What's your take on that narrative? Uh, well, I mean, I agree. I mean, it was a it was an unbelievable match, you know, but I wouldn't give all the credit to Sean. Uh, I would give a lot of the credit to Sean, but I mean, you know, you know, it takes two to tango, buddy. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, if the guy that you're out there in the ring with isn't doing his part, then, you know, in other words, you know, you might be good, but that other guy's butt it got to be doing what he's supposed to be doing to make you look good. So, Dave, get a grip. Get a grip, Dave. And, yeah, I mean, like, you know, Scott is one of those guys who just seemed like he was always in the right spot. Like, he he knew wrestling well enough to know, like, here's where I need to be at this time. He knew yeah. about timing and pacing. And, yeah, I, I love Scott Hall's work. So, I think I think he uh, he deserves certainly 50% of yeah. the uh, credit here. Yeah. Um, now, as far as the match itself goes, there's not much to say about it that hasn't already been said. It was phenomenal, and I think both performers were key to the success of it. So, Ted, I'm going to ask you one of these questions that I know is hard to answer, but let's see if you can come up with something. Uh, for your money, is this the greatest WrestleMania match of all time, this ladder match? Hmm. Uh, uh, no. I, you know, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it was the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. Um, I mean, you, you know, you think about how many, you know, big events that there have been in wrestling, you know, my gosh, to, to, to take one match like that and say it was the greatest of all time. No. One, one of the greatest of all time, you know? Could it be in the top ten? Yeah, I'd say yes to that. You know, and, and I don't know in terms of, uh, you know, I don't even, you know, I don't know that I was ever involved in, in, in a match that would be considered the in, in the top 10 or anything. But, I mean, I've been in some good, well, me and Savage. Me and Savage at WrestleMania 4, we had a hell of a match. And that's the first time that we had ever touched. Randy and I had never been in the ring together before that day. It was phenomenal. And that, that is, and, you know, Sean, you know, in this, in, in this ladder match, they had, they had had other battles. This was like the culmination, you know, so there's a lot of things that have to be taken into, into, you know, yeah, I just, you know. It's a really good point, Ted, because uh, Sean and Razor both talked about how they had had matches, a ton of ladder matches leading up to this, and they they were starting to figure out like different type of ladder matches. They'd have like the A match, the B match, and the C match, like where it's three different types of matches with the ladder, and you know they were like, well, you know, tonight we'll do the B match for WrestleMania. Yeah. Um. So they had had a lot of time to kind of hone this. Where in the meantime, it's like you know, guys. Sometimes you get in there and it's it's just fresh and you've got to just go on the fly. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, that's always the best way. You know, you know the finish. You know, that's the old school. There's two things. You know, the one thing you always know is the the, the finish, the way it's going to end, because that's that's the that's what you're going to leave in the people's mind, so you can get them. It's kind of like watching a soap opera. Those soap operas always end with like. Uh, well, I guess I'm going to have to tune in tomorrow to see what happened. That's wrestling. Same thing. It's an, on, an ongoing st- storyline. Uh, so there's a lot of matches, you know, oh, my gosh. Uh, greatest of all time. I don't think there's any one single match that could be called that. Now, what they did was exceptional. 
No, no doubt. I would say as far as a ladder match goes, I don't know. I don't know anybody that's had a better ladder match than those guys had. I'll say that. No, I don't think so either. I think a lot of yeah. people might argue some of that stuff that the Hardy boys were doing with uh, Edge and Christian and stuff, but nope. I To me, this is no. uh, I think it's the greatest ladder match of all time. I do too. Uh, so, unfortunately for Brett, uh, he's got to follow this match in the main event with Yokozuna for the WWF Championship. So, Brett lost to Owen earlier in the night, as I mentioned, and his Royal Rumble co-winner, Lex Luger, has a shot at Yokozuna earlier in the night and was defeated by DQ. So now both men are on equal ground. They both had one match earlier in the night. Now they have to face each other here in the main event. We've got Roddy Piper as the guest referee, and Brett is going to capture the win, and uh, Vince has firmly planted his flag with uh, his company, frontrunner post-Hogan. So uh, iconic stuff, and definitely a deserving spot for Brett as he gets his big WrestleMania moment. Ted, can you talk a little bit about how difficult it must be to follow a match as epic as this ladder match for somebody like Brett and Yoko here? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But if you know what you're doing and you know how to do it, 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 it can be done. And it was done. It, what you do, you know, it's kind of like uh, when you have a match like that, you're building and building and building. And it's kind of like, you know, right at the very end. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is a good analogy or not. Go ahead, lay it on me. Okay. Uh, it's it, it's it's <laughs> it's like having an orgasm. Okay. Yeah. It builds and it builds and it builds, and all of a sudden it comes, and you know you've spent yourself, and it takes you a little while to get back up to where you can do that again. So this big explosive match happens, you know, but with the ladder match and the two guys go out and they follow it the best way, you, you know, and, and you know what it is? You sit down, you get in a hole and you sit down and you build that story piece by piece by piece. And sure enough, if you do it in the right way, you can get back up to that same crescendo and do it again. <laughs> but today, I say that's very hard to do because I don't I don't think there's 20 wrestlers that know how to do that anymore. When you to tell that story, to just go from it's like, you know, it's it's kind of like you know. Uh, uh, back when you that you know you think it's real you know and we and that's 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 what I used to say okay they all these people know wrestling's uh, uh, show business but I'm gonna go out there tonight and I'm gonna make those people believe that the guy I'm working with and I are are, are going for it for real that was my always my mindset and as long as I had that mindset you know. And I think you even heard Ben said, oh, yeah, you know, those first couple of matches, man, that that, that 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 was phony. But those guys in the main event, man, you know, they were going for it. They weren't really going for it. They were just really good at what they did. So. Well, Ted, uh, I cannot think of a better transition to our sponsor, Blue Chew. Guys, if you want to put on a five-star performance of your own, 
you've got to check out our fantastic sponsor. Uh, we talked about last week, Ted, uh, some confidence. Uh, I mean, the Million Dollar Man was known for his confidence. And brother, uh, you can deliver confidence where it's needed the most when you give Blue Chew a try. It's a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready when the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you're going to receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. BlueChew's tablets are made right here in the U.S. of A. and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package, but there won't be anything discreet about your package. Men everywhere have been, never been more excited to see their mail carrier arrive because when that package arrives, your package arrives. Listen, and like the Million Dollar Man always says, that's absolutely priceless. <laughs> priceless. <laughs> man, put on a priceless performance from your significant other, guys. Uh, and look, I know I'm a skeptic myself, so I'm sure a lot of you are asking, is this thing actually going to work? Well, why don't you do yourself a favor and try it for free? and find out something free from the million dollar man that's correct you can try it right now for free all you have to do is pay five dollars shipping place your order now and give your partner a very pleasant surprise women are attracted to confidence and blue chew can help to deliver it don't wait any longer it's time to chew it and do it take advantage of our special deal again you can try blue chew free when you use our promo code egap at checkout you just pay five dollars shipping it's bluechew.com, promo code EGAP to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Bluechew for sponsoring the podcast. I love it. Chew it and do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Ted, when you're talking about um, building to like an orgasm, like in a match, I was like, holy shit, is Bluechew a sponsor this week? And lo and behold, they are. So uh, perfect timing. And uh, we're almost wrapped. <laughs> Ted, it's like you knew. It's like you knew. And uh, we are almost wrapped up here on the show. Before we go, I did want to talk to you about this because I found it really interesting. Uh, ordinarily, Ted, when I ask you and Jake the same questions uh, on your respective shows, you guys tend to see things eye to eye. Uh, so I'm really curious about how you're going to answer this next one. A while back on an episode of Ask Jake Anything, we got this from WWE Hall of Famer Jake the Snake. Better worker and why? Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart? Neither. 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 <laughs> that's that's going to get a reaction online. I what? sure will. <laughs> why do you say that? One four. Uh, great, better performer, Shawn. Okay. Bret just gets dull at times, you know, in his interviews. Aren't uh, up to par, I don't think, to what they should be. For what position he held, I think his interviews were poor at best. Um, as for their uh, styles in the ring, though, like you just didn't really care for either one? They were part of that era that quit selling things. Mm -hmm. You know, and just did everything. Uh, I will give it to Brett that he did wrestle a lot more than Sean. Yes, he did. But uh, Brett, to me, just, 
Oh boy, I'm gonna get myself in trouble here. He just wasn't a champion to me. There, I said, neither one of them. Okay, so Jake, that's what I love about doing a podcast with Jake. He always just he tells it like he sees it. He does not sugarcoat things. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just interesting to me because you and Jake, both second generation performers, both came up in the same kind of time frame. You guys are running very parallel courses, and of course, those courses are going to cross in Mid South and the WWF. Um, so you and Jake have an awful lot in common, but. I've heard you say before that Bret Hart was world champion material and he fit that role well and you liked him there. Uh, Jake very clearly does not feel the same way. What's your take on all that? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I thought that, uh, um, I thought Bret did a good job. I mean, everybody's got a different style. Um, and, Brett was, uh, you know, it was kind of like he had he had charisma, but it was like I don't I, I don't know. It, it was kind of like he didn't get in a hurry about anything. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, they, it's you know, Brett was like a very kind of methodical, tell a story out there type yeah. wrestler. Yeah which spoke to the fact that we come from the same school and basically, you know, I, you know, Jake comes from that school too. Yeah. That, that old school too. But I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I totally agree with Jake. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the hearts, the hearts are slow, slow and methodical. Uh, and, you know, but, you know, and, and, uh, but, you know, Sean, you know, I mean, Sean, you know, uh, I would think Sean's speed would make up for the lack of speed that Brett might have not had. I don't know. You know, uh, when it comes to Sean, oh, I, I, I would have to go back and see the match myself. You know, Sean, uh, Jake and I have talked about him on a number of occasions, and Jake always kind of comes back to selling. He said, yep, Shawn Michaels used to be one of the best sellers in wrestling. Then he started to work on top or closer to the top. He was like, it's like the closer to the top of the card he got, the less he sold. And I didn't like his style. Um, and I was like, wow, okay. So it's you know, it's surprising because you always hear that Sean was such a great seller. And here's Jake with these these guys who are considered, uh, you know, two of the best ever in ring. And Jake and, does not care for it. And, you know, I... Gosh, I, you know, I I don't know that I ever studied it that much or or paid attention that much, but uh, I mean, <laughs> I have a tendency to agree with everything. Uh, you know, the Jake. I mean, Jake and I. We we. You know, my God, we we were we both we both started in the, the same damn territory. Yeah, um, and we're brought up that way, and. His dad, my dad, were both wrestlers, so I would have a tendency to to agree with Jake. But I just have never, I didn't study it. I mean, it's not like I, you know. Um, and sometimes Jake Jake picks up on things that that I, you know, slip by me. But I the uh, I have to go back, you know. I, you know, it's kind of like. Um, for him to have the insight to say, well, you know, you know, as, as, as Sean was 
more and more on top. You know, he was less and less selling. So I don't know. I would think reality is the higher you climb the ladder, especially if you're a baby face, sell more. Especially a smaller guy. Well, well, not, not just it. sell sell more because when you sell more, that means you're going to have an explosive comeback. Ah. And and you're gonna you're gonna blow it out the top on the comeback, and the finish. So I mean, <laughs> for me, you know, I you know, and as a heel, I would call the match. And so I would ask in terms of calling the match because like what I would usually do with a guy, especially if I had never wrestled it, is I would at the beginning of the match I would put over you know, like we grab a hold and he'd reverse a hold or we'd do something he'd get out. You know, and I, I would build it to where the people could start seeing my frustration. Like, dang it, he did it again. He got out. And so, of course, you know, that, that, would, that would lead to me ultimately taking my first cheap shot. You know, and that, you know, uh, and that, that would lead to me getting the serious heat. Mm. And, and, uh, you know, get, you know, get get that baby face in in a hole and have the people stomping their feet or, or or clapping, you know, for him to get out and make a comeback. But once he does, then he make when he makes that explosive comeback, it's kind of like uh, you jump in the air and shit in your hair. That's what we used to say, <laughs> and uh, and and then and go. And that's when I would start bumping my rear end off for him, and then whatever the finish was. And, you know, whether, you know, and, and obviously if it's the blow off match, you know, I'm, I'm going to put the baby face over, but if it's not the blow off match, then he gets this great big comeback. And, you know, everybody thinks he's just about to put me away and I somehow screw him again. And then there's the one more match like, you know, or, you know, it's like, he, or like, for example, he just totally beats the crap out of me and I roll out of the ring and leave. Mm-hmm. And they, and they count me out, you know. So he wins, but he, you know, you you can't win you can't win a match, title match on on default, right? On on account, you know. So it's like you beat me, but I didn't lose the belt. Now we got to have another match. Well, next time they either put the guys around the ring, uh, style, or they put up the the cage. Man, it's, it's such a cool way to tell a story, and that's what strikes me about all of, all of you wrestlers, uh, all the wrestlers talked about here, Jake, you, Brett, Sean. It's all great storytellers in the ring, and that's why it's like hearing this from Jake. Like, I was shocked whenever Jake said it. So, uh, but, you know, Jake, it's he's he's a really sharp guy. So to your yeah. point, maybe he's just, he's watching these matches differently than you and I. Yeah. Well, you know, and, you know that's you know, some insight that I just never... You know, I never took the time to, I, I didn't look at it uh, like that. But if I, maybe if I went back and looked at it, you know, uh, but no, Jake is sharp. You know, I, I, I give him that. He always has been. Well, we're having a lot of fun here on the podcast. That's going to wrap us up for this week. This, uh, But we are not done yet looking back to WWF in 1994. It's far from over. Uh, you know, we've, we've still got SummerSlam this year and the Underfaker versus Undertaker. So uh, we're going to continue the story as we uh, look at it 30 years later here in 2024. 
guys, please do us a favor. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, subscribe, leave us a five-star review on all your podcast app platforms because that helps uh, let advertisers know and other potential listeners know how awesome the show is. It only takes you a second, and it would be much appreciated. Catch Jet, catch Ted on all social media platforms at MDM Ted DiBiase. Follow the podcast on all platforms at Ted DiBiase Pod, and follow me and drop your questions for the show on my X account, which is Marcus P D'Angelo. Uh, Ted, that's going to do it this time, man. This was a really fun episode, and I appreciate your time as always. That's awesome, brother. As always, Marcus, uh, you, you you pull you you pull some you pull some of them out of the hat and not make me go what you know you you have reminded me of over half of my career <laughs> so I, I and i appreciate that uh but again i i thank you all uh the fans for tuning in and uh come back and see us again next week and remember as always that everybody's got a price for the million dollar man See you guys next time right here on Everybody's Got a Pod.